So welcome to this uh, short but meaningful sermon series entitled Cultural Lies. And uh, I just appreciate how Tyler is so abreast of what's going on in culture and how it can affect us in a way that influences us in, a, uh, in ways that we don't really want to be influenced. There's popular ideas that pop up and there's, there's trendy messages and and, and sometimes we'll hear something that is very um, mainstream cultural kind of thinking, and we'll go, no, no, that, that, I'm not really interested in that. That's not something that will fit for me. But then other times, some of these messages will be more subtle, not easily, as easily detected. And I would suggest to you that I think the topic for this morning is one of those subtle, not so easily detected messages that we can sometimes buy into. Now we have a theme, we have a theme verse, I should say, and this theme verse gets at kind of where we're, we're emphasizing this, how these ideas can become uh, a stronghold in a negative way. Look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. There's two things there. Divine power, uh, the weapons available, the weapons of prayer, the power of God's word is a sword, and then the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says we demolish these strongholds, and now they're, now they're uh, explained, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The New Living Translation calls these human reasoning and false arguments. That's the way the, uh, the New Living Translation uh, translates it. And then the point is kind of the opinions of mankind, the prevalent opinions of mankind that can slowly but surely distort the truth of God in our lives. And so because of that, it's, it's a very important subject. And I think the one uh, topic that we have today, you'll see just how uh, subtle and possibly deceptive it can be. Did you see the title in the outline? It is Cultural Lies. God affirms you as you are. Now I've done some... Uh, polling on this particular title, God Affirms You As You Are. And I've, I've read it to it and I've shared it with people. And, the, and I said, well, what do you think about it? And they go, sounds good. I like that. I'm into that kind of thing. And sure, I suppose that's the point we have, that it can be subtle and seem like it just fits just fine. But I think the rub kind of comes with the idea of affirmations. Affirmations have sort of exploded among us. It's like so common to hear about the significance of affirmations. You've got 365 affirmations just for you, one for every day. Or have you heard of the ABCs, the ABCs of affirmation? I've got them right here. I am awesome. I am bright. I am charming. I'm delightful. Should I keep going? I'm encouraging. I'm friendly, generous, helpful, intelligent. Pretty good, huh? Joyful, um, 
kind, loving, mindful, nurturing, outstanding. Of course, I'm all of those. <laughs> and so you have this idea of affirmations. It's so prevalent. And I, I saw a poster that I just thought kind of fit. <laughs> and it's the poster of I am. And it puts me right in the center, right where I belong. And so when I look at that and I see all those different words and so on, I can kind of like latch onto those and it can just seem like it's just supposed to be that way. Let's just pat each other on the back and say, it's all good. And this idea of affirmation then uh, spills into our understanding of God and who God is and how he, he uh, interacts with us. And so God is affirming about you and me, right? Of course. And, and I like the idea of affirmations. I always have kind of, I like to give affirmations. I like to get affirmations, right? And as a family, we had uh, the practice of sharing affirmations at birthdays. And we'd give gifts, but the thing that was kind of, for me, the most meaningful is we would share verbal gifts with each other. Well, the person that, uh, their birthday. And I, I have some, I, those are good memories. So I'm not here to bash affirm, affirmations. But I did read something kind of interesting. Let's say that you um, uh, want to have this kind of affirmation. I am a lovable person. You'll have that one. Or another one, um, my life is filled with joy. Now there's some psychologists at the University of Waterloo that they did some research on this. And they said these kind of statements to people with low self-esteem can make them feel even worse. Here's the idea. Because telling yourself you're lovable is liable to provoke the internal counter-argument that really you're not. <laughs> and it can make you feel worse. Well, something to think about. When it comes to this idea of affirmation, we're drawn to it, but it's rather confusing. And it, it, it makes the statement that I've shared already as my title, confusing. God affirms you as you are. And if we had a true or false on that one, most of you would say true. So we have to kind of investigate. What does this idea of affirmation actually mean? Most of you are probably projecting on this affirmation the idea that God loves you as you are. That's probably, that, that kind of, you, we quickly go there and we, we, we know that's true. God so loved the world. And so God's love means he always affirms me. It can, can have that kind of meaning to us. But there's possibly a better definition, clearer to the truth of what it means to affirm. And it's this idea, God approves you as you are. With the definition of affirm being asserts to be true. That's the idea, and that's when you get kind of thinking about things. So um, the idea that um, affirmations, we think of ourselves, but what if we give affirmations and we think about ourselves and what we believe is true? But what if it isn't true? What if it isn't helpful? Does God affirm that? That's the question. Is God's affirmation about how I perceive my identity, he always says yes to that. Or how I think about my choices, he always goes yes to that. Or how about my attitude? 
Could it ever be that I might be thinking to myself wrongly, my choices might be hurtful, and my attitude might be negative? Could it be that? Yes. And that's where the challenge is. And you know that. You, you, God's not going to go, oh, that's just fine. God can't approve or affirm you as you are when, unless, what we believe about ourselves is true, unless what we are doing is for our best. Did you get that? Unless for what we believe about ourselves is true, and unless what we are doing is for our best, God cannot affirm. And so that's the topic, and we have a text. We're going to look at it. I think it's going to help kind of direct us in something that seems confusing, and there's some tension around this. And it's in Romans 8. Look at Romans 8. Romans 8 is a fantastic chapter. Uh, if you just did Romans 8 and you just meditated on Romans 8, you would be in a good place. And I'm just taking one section out of Romans 8 to kind of give clarity to this topic. It says this in verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, really the message is to believers, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if we live according to the flesh, you, uh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the mis mis misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Literally, it just has the one word, sons. Those that are led by the Spirit of God are sons. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry Abba Father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children and now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory this is the word of the Lord and it's going to help us. It's going to help us understand this topic, I think, better. It teaches us, really, in this paragraph, in these verses, I think it, it teaches us what, what God's affirmation is and what it isn't. And that's really the crux of what we want to talk about. So, first of all, let's start with what it isn't. God's affirmation. What it isn't, it isn't living according to the flesh, live according to the flesh. We can understand that. And that's the topic right there. And if you have your Bibles open, you can read right along with me in verse 8 where it says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 8, kind of a lead into this. Those in the flesh cannot please God. And this isn't about unbelievers. This isn't about all those people out there. It's us. It's about us. It's talking about us, brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's telling us that um, there's no affirmation when we walk in the flesh from God. No. Now the problem is that we're all in this human body. And we still have to deal with the flesh. Each one of us. No one's exempt. The flesh urges us to what? Live for ourselves. The flesh stirs, us, stirs up a desire in us to sin. The, the flesh 
envisions us at the very center of things where we're the most important. And what happens to us is how everybody should respond. What we think and what we believe is, you know, right for me. That idea. But what if it isn't true? What if what's happening in your life and my life is motivated by the flesh? Well, the the text says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It says that. That is so, so the, the, the term there and the message is so strong. It's so intense. You will die. Now, what does that mean? Some have suggested, oh, that means you're going to hell. No, it's, it's to believers. It's a message to us. It, the message is one of warning. It's a warning message. The whole context of chapter 8 in, in Romans is one of hope, actually, and, and connection. But here, it's this real challenge that the way of the flesh leads to death. And this means decline. It, it has, it's associated with defeat, that kind of thing. Uh, the idea of being distant from God or emotional distress, or the difficulties of life surface as we live according to the flesh. And we're all, as I said, you know, susceptible to this. And it, 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 it disrupts the, the connection and satisfaction of living close to God, living in the flesh. And it, it begins to, slowly but surely, separate us from that special and um, affirming connection. So that's the f- first thing uh, uh, about the flesh. But then there's also the, the message about, you know, a message of affirmation. What God's affirmation is. And you can see it in those verses. It's live according to the Spirit. And to live according to the Spirit is, um, you know, everything said about it is like moving us forward. It's, it's, it's positive. And so... As I looked about in this text, what does it mean to live according to the Spirit? I at least saw two things that were brought out. And the first one is fight, and the next one is follow. So this idea of fight is it's so important, and it's very challenging, because it says to live according to the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, and then you'll live. So this, the, the, the terminology to put to death the deeds is to slay. It's very strong. It's not like, okay, ho-hum. It is really the language of a boxer. And it, it is the, 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 the posture of confronting something that is affecting you negatively. It is pushing back. It is discarding. It's knocking out. You see, in the message about fighting, there is no complacency. No complacency. It's not like, oh, it's all going to work out for the good. No, it is one of active participation in the, with the help of the Spirit to say no and fight against. We're in a battle. That's the, the language that we have there. We don't think of that very often. We don't like that terminology. It's not really consistent with our cultural dynamics. But it is biblical to fight slay the activity and the temptation of the flesh. But then there's this idea of follow that comes out in verse 14. And verse 14 is a marvelous verse 
for those who are led by the Spirit are sons or daughters. That's just such a great verse. Talk about affirmation. Verse 14 is a very affirming verse, and it's really talking about follow, to follow those led by the Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit, guess what you're doing? You're following. You're following the ways of God, the, the, the direction of the Spirit, what the Spirit has in mind for you, the best He has in mind for you. And I think it's so interesting in this text, as you, if, uh, looking at it pretty closely, in verse 14, there, there's a word for the children of God that the NIV puts there, and it's just, as I read, sons. And we can put in there daughters as well. And, and it's a different word than the word used in verse 16 and 17. In verse 16 and 17, we are God's children, sons and daughters, God's children. You say, well, they, they, that sounds the same. But the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, he had to have a reason to use two different words. And I think he did. And I think it's, it, it, it makes sense to me that in verse 14, that the, uh, the applaud of God, the affirmation of God, to the sons and daughters are that they, they're following the Spirit. They're actually growing. They're advancing. They're maturing. In verse 14, it's that posture of moving forward. Now, in verse 16 and 17, it's also kind of cool, but it's not the same kind of idea. A child is brought into relationship. The child is adopted. You have children that are adopted, but you have sons and daughters that are growing. And guess what? You know this. God wants us to grow and mature. He absolutely does. It, he's, he's just like that, cheering us on, wanting that we would fight and follow. And these would produce growth and maturity in us. That's how I read this text. It essentially, to me, is saying no to sin. To be aware and discerning enough about God's conviction in my life that I say no to sin and yes to God's leading. That's what I hear in, the, in these verses. That's what I see in these verses. It's very active. And this, this sense of a spirit-led life is a, in a marvelous adventure that fills our souls and empowers our lives. So why so much complacency among believers in today's world? Why so much? Well, I think I've already said why. It's because of the influence of the flesh. And guess who uses the flesh in, a, in as any way possible? The devil. The devil tries to, you know, fan our flesh so that we will respond to what? We'll respond to say, you know, the apple looks really good. Some say that in Genesis 3, we can't be sure it's an apple. But if an apple crunches, that's what I want. And so an apple, you know, this, and, and Adam and Eve... That's a, that's a picture. That is a, a picture that set in motion all of God's word and the potential in my life and your life to eat the apple and to be influenced by the flesh, which had them hiding and making clothes and running away. And, and I associate this with the, 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 in the sense of observation and discernment in today's world, church world, American culture, complacency. How do I see complacency? I see complacency around God's word. I see complacency in the connection of God's church. There's complacency around God's mission. And I see an incredible complacency around God's holiness. 
When complacency sets in, God's word takes, it sets on the shelf and it, it, it doesn't have the impact and influence that God intended it. Complacency says, oh, I'll have to do that another time. Complacency around God's, uh, God's church says, well, you know, uh, the church is made up of a bunch of humans and uh, I, I, I'm not into the church. It's God's church. It's called the bride of Christ. Complacency around the church and one's investment into the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Complacency. Complacency around the mission. The mission of sharing the gospel and winning people to Christ. Complacency around the mission that goes global. Complacency. And complacency around the holiness of God. To be holy as he is holy. He's called us with, to embrace a pure heart and to emulate him and have his life influence us so much that we walk a pathway of holiness. Complacency in these areas is rampant. There is way more complacency than fervency in the American church overall. Way more. And so I see how this has influenced us, this, this watering down of who God is and what he wants for us. We are talking about an engaged, active, vibrant life. And that's the life that God affirms. Now, there's another section in here that's really uh, marvelous as well. And it's this idea of the fatherhood of God. God is our father. And in verse 15 uh, and so on, it talks about him being, there's adoption, the Spirit you receive brought you into adoption. You cry, Abba, Father. He testifies with our spirit. We're God's children. If we're children, we're heirs, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And I, 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 I summarize those verses connecting to how God is a father. And he affirms us as his children. No doubt about it. And so... It's, it's easy for me to see as a father or a mother, it's easy for me to see that a father or mother doesn't affirm, doesn't always affirm the choices of a child. I know that for sure. And doesn't always affirm what a child believes. Doesn't always do that. Doesn't always affirm, yes, you're right. Always loves, right? But not always affirms. So it makes total sense to me that the fatherhood of God is included in here and a very important distinction and something that I, I want us to consider. I remember the story, you remember it, it's so, uh, uh, it, it pictures the heart of God so well. Uh, a, a son goes and on his own merry way and, and he has inheritance and he ends up feeding pigs, kind of the worst spot for a Jewish boy, feeding pigs. And he comes to his senses, and the whole time the father didn't rescue him, didn't affirm what he was choosing to do, right? But when he returns, what does the father do? He opens his arms in affirmation and embrace out of love. So we have that picture. And so I'd like it, again, just uh, about this topic of father, I'd like to do that affirmation, what it is and what it isn't. And I'm going to say it this way. The affirmation of the Father is not always glory. And I like glory. It's not always glory. And I use this contrast in verse 17 to bring this out. 
glory. No, sometimes it's suffering, and sometimes it's suffering on purpose. Sometimes it's suffering that's allowed by God. Sometimes it's hardship that's even initiated by God. Oh, yes. In Hebrews 12, 7, it says, Endure hardship, suffering as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? You know that. You understand that. That makes sense. And says um, in verse 6, The Lord disciplines the one he loves. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. So, God doesn't always affirm, but he always loves. And that distinction is important. And what it does for me is when I have seen myself drifting in my thoughts or moving toward pride or uh, letting resentment get a grip on me, when those things have been true in my life, that's when I notice the, the distancing with God and the challenge and the heartache and the suffering that goes along with it. And I, and I acknowledge this is the discipline of the Lord in my life. And what do I do? I say, God, I'm sorry. I've gotten off track. I want connection with you more than anything. I want you. And because he loves me, I am not afraid to do that. I don't cower behind a rock. I move toward God because I know he loves me and I know I've gotten off track and he's not affirming my decisions, but he is embracing me when I return. And I love that about our God. So until I, I have admitted that pride has taken over, or self-centeredness is rooted, or there's a sense of resentment in my life, I can feel distant and even disinterested about, I mean, God. God can seem like he's disinterested in me. He can seem so distant, but it's not true. It's just my experience. It's that flesh that kind of then deadens my sensitivities to what God is about. But he hasn't changed. He didn't move. I'm the one that moved. And so when I realize that and I, I admit my choices and my priorities and my selfishness have gotten out of, gotten the wrong way, God never lets go. He never lets go. And that's that last idea. What affirmation is? God's affirmation does mean he, we are always, his children are always heirs. Always heirs. And that's a pretty cool, cool statement. As a child um, adopted into Christ's family through faith in Jesus Christ as son, I am an heir and so are you. Now I can, I can distance. There can be seasons when I want to feed pigs, but God never lets go. Because he loves me and I'm adopted. And when I remember that, things are renewed and I'm so grateful for that. So God is amazing. He's unfailing in his love. His love is steadfast. And I hope that you can still. I hope you can still because I haven't sometimes been able to hear this. But I hope you can still uh, hear the whisper, the whisper of God. You are my child. And I love you. And if that whisper is very faint, 
That possibly means that you've moved away. But maybe today you would move toward and you would respond to that whisper, that whisper of God. It's so important to realize and acknowledge if you've wandered, to just admit that. It doesn't go away. God already knows. It doesn't go away until we admit it. And then we realize what we're missing out on and how there is an invitation of renewal and reconnection to God. Several years ago, my youngest son was in a distant land. Literally, he was in Europe. He was a foreign exchange student. And he would share things about feeling so discouraged and disoriented and feeling like God was far away. And he was wandering around and he lost his cell phone and he didn't have an iPad at the time. And for five days, I didn't know where he was or what was happening. I didn't sleep at all. I wanted him, I wanted him to return. I wanted him to be touched by God. As a father, I understood the turmoil that I felt in my life. And when he said, Dad, I want to come home, I said, you're always welcome. Some of you have the tears of God rolling up on his cheeks because you've been wandering, wandering, moving in directions that you think are satisfying, but you realize that they're not. And you're in a distant land. And there's a Father God waiting to embrace you again. So if some of you are wandering today, I know a better path. One that has the love of God and the affirmation of God as you step him but no one else can step towards him but you for you